solemnly swear Lost that you are the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you are all now members of the 115th Congress. AJC Radio and our team extend a personal invitation to all the members of Congress to be a part of this dynamic initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We welcome you, whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, whatever you might be, we join together to bring to the attention of the American people the positive things that our elected officials are doing on Capitol Hill. Tonight, AJC Radio salutes you, and we extend that invitation to all the members of Congress as we continue to shine the light called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. It's just going to get better from here. Let's get on board. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the right to cast an unfettered vote is central to our democracy. When the United States Supreme Court invalidated key provisions of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, it invited Congress to update the formula that determines which jurisdictions should be covered. Unfortunately, while Congress has failed to act, we have seen jurisdiction after jurisdiction all across this country attempting to erect impediments to the right to vote. The Voting Rights Act, or the Voting Rights Investment Act, uh, that has been introduced in this body and the other across the hall responds to the Supreme Court's invitation. That's why we have labeled our legislative outreach strategy hashtag restore the vote. And because elections are held on Tuesdays, today we are launching hashtag restoration Tuesday to organize member activities online, on the floor, and throughout our communities. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice around the world. Tonight is no exception, and we are honored tonight for this special spotlight on Capitol Hill. And I'm not sure what's on the dinner menu tonight, ladies and gentlemen, but I'll tell you right now, a legend joins us tonight. Representative James Clyburn doing some things on our nation's capital. And I'll tell you what, we're bringing a one-on-one interview that we actually did live from our nation's capital. Folks, hang on to your seat. Spotlight kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams. Lisa is off tonight and... Uh, welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we appreciate you joining us t- uh, tonight, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world, and uh, we got a humdinger for you tonight as we uh, actually was on a journey last week in our nation's capital, had an opportunity to sit down with Congressman Clyburn and hear his thoughts of what's going on, and I'll tell you what, Cliff, uh, this is a man that's doing some things, and I'm telling you, crossing the aisle to get things done, and you're going to hear a lot about that tonight. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, 
He is doing some things, I'll tell you what, as a Democrat, one of the most powerful Democrats in Washington, and is able to cross the aisle and actually work with the Republican Party because his ideas, his thoughts, his persistence to, to actually help the American people is the motivating factor. Cliff, your thoughts on that? I mean, that's what it takes. You've got to be able to go across the aisle, reach across to get things done. The, this whole uh, you know, partisan approach to trying to get laws passed and, and trying to just run the country, it does not work. I mean, we're seeing in, in today's news, seeing with the new administration, how trying to stick to just uh, party lines does not work. When you have you have the entire you have the House and and the uh, and the Senate, both Republican, a quote unquote Republican president, and still things are not getting done. It takes the action of going across the aisle, uh, compromising, making affinities with uh, other members of Congress that may not be in your party to get things done. And, and uh, Congressman Clyburn has shown over his over his uh, what is over 25 years and in, uh, in in the in the in Congress he has shown that that is what it takes and Absolutely. without that you cannot get anything accomplished well Cliff in talking to excuse me in talking to Congressman Clyburn one thing was very clear uh, and William I'm going to get your thoughts on this it was his engagement if you will his connection with the American people he made some good points I don't want to spoil the interview and i'm gonna let him tell it for himself but i'll tell you what down south there's there's some things going on in the south part of this country uh that is bad when you're talking about poverty levels you're talking about things that uh need to be looked at need to be addressed and congressman clapburn is i'm telling you he is involved uh i mean everything he's got he's putting it into the fact what can we do to help the american people what can we do to lift the burdens in. William, I'll tell you what, you're from this neck of this uh, part of the country. You know, you've seen some things down there, the the uh, rural areas down there. There's a lot going on. There's, there, absolutely. And people people forget about it. I mean, it's almost a forgotten region where you think about it used to be, you know, in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of manufacturing uh, that was later offshored in the, in the mid to late 80s, you know, with China. So that left a lot of people without jobs. So when you have people that they really want to stick to, you know, that small town feel, they were raised there, they have family there, right. but then they have no place to go. They have no way to provide for their families. So he was he definitely connects with those people from the standpoint that the struggle, that you know, the the sheer struggle that they're dealing with, trying to raise a family, racism. You know, we heard the clip leading into it where, where he's talking about voting rights. You know, the rights the rights of the American people in the rural South, they their voices need to be heard. And and they could they could connect with somebody in the Midwest or, or in the Northeast or wherever. I mean, it's but they need someone to understand their pain. And that's what he does. He understands and he's there championing their cause in Washington. Well, I'll tell you what, Congressman Clyburn uh started early, uh says here that Congressman Clyburn followed closely in his parents' footsteps beginning with getting elected president of his NAACP youth chapter when he was just 12 years old. Uh, after graduating from Mather Academy in Camden, South Carolina in 1957, he enrolled at South Carolina State College, now called South Carolina State University. Uh, so I'm telling you, he, he got involved very early and knew there was an issue and there were causes that were worth fighting for. We're going to get into all of it, folks. And Dennis, let's get your thoughts on the congressman. As we were talking prior to kickoff of the show tonight, 
uh, this gentleman is somebody, uh, I'll tell you what, and I, I said this to him when we sat down with him in D.C., I said, you, I am your constituent. And he started smiling, and I said, I'll tell you why. For one reason, what you are doing, and we say this all the time, is my, am I a constituent of just Colorado? No. This is the United States of America. And I said, what you're doing, bringing people together. You know what? Your work in the South helps me over here in the West or the Midwest or whatever you want to do it. These type of initiatives that are going on, and that's what people don't understand, is that this is what politics is supposed to be about in bringing a country together. We just have a representative from each state, but we're all supposed to be one body in one United States of America, Dennis. And I'll tell you what, I was so impressed with this gentleman. Uh, he was running around. He was get, having to go to appointments and votes on the floor. And he took the time to sit with us and to talk with us, even putting himself a little bit in jeopardy of being late for that next meeting. Uh, what do you say to that? I mean, that's something that meant a lot to us. It's, it's awesome. Again, uh, as we spoke earlier about the his ability, his, his desire to do whatever it takes, even if it takes to cross those party lines, to make sure it's not about uh, partisanship, you know, but by you know, but but about getting together, doing what's right for the American people, and not just one state. And I tell you, that's awesome. No, absolutely. And uh, again, we're going to get into all of that here tonight uh, as we get ready to address some issues and some things that uh, need to be addressed in this country right now. And Congressman Clyburn, I'll tell you what, he's a pioneer. I called him. I told him uh, when we were talking there, I said, you remind me of a trailblazer. You're setting the stage for those that will come after. Uh, And he didn't give me any argument on that. This man is doing some things uh, that's making a big, big difference. And we're going to get to that on the other side of this break. But right now, current news, uh, breaking news, if you will, that the decision from the Ninth Circuit Appellate Court has come down and not in favor of the administration. And, uh, you know, that's to me is good news. Uh, they saw enough uh, that told them this is not something that should be happening. We needed that decision, Dennis, today. We needed that as a country, as we have been in a point of chaos in this country with families and broken hearts. As we discussed the other night on the show, the immigration crisis, uh, I'm very happy with this decision. Your thoughts on that? Oh, truly, I'm, I'm very happy with it also because it shows that America uh, does have compassion. And uh, we're not about separating, you know, you know, giving one set of people, you know, greater benefits than the other. It's about doing the right thing. And these three judges, uh, they, that's what they did. They said, hey, I can't come to a conclusion that agrees with the president. I can't do it. And I'm not going to do it because we're here to do the right thing. That's why we have powers. That's right. That's why we have different levels of power to keep each each other straight. And that's what they did today. They said, no, nah, uh, that's not the way to go about it. You are you are being uh, prejudiced in a, in a sense, and, and we, we can't agree with that. Right. And the words I quote uh, President Trump, see you in court. Uh, the problem with that is his nominee will not be on the bench of the Supreme Court to rule in this decision. Uh, and right now you have a 4-4 split at the Supreme Court. It, what's amazing to me in this decision, it was a unanimous decision. All three agreed. And sometimes you have a descending judge uh, that says, well, I don't agree, and this is my opinion on I'm looking forward to reading the brief uh, and the opinion uh, of the judges on this. I think it sends a message. Uh, look, this isn't playground stuff going on here. This is the presidency. 
of the United States of America. Make no mistake about it. It's not a game. It's not a reality show. This is reality. And uh, you're in an arena here that affects the lives of millions. And uh, perhaps, hopefully, a wake-up call will come to that administration soon enough. Uh, On the other side of the break, folks, we're coming back. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We told you about a legend. His name is Congressman James Clyburn. We're going to hear that one-on-one interview that we had with him in Washington, D.C. And, uh, folks, you may call it Halloween trick-or-treat. This is going to be a treat tonight. Hang on to your seats. We're coming right back. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Black History Month is a month of celebration, uh, a month of, you know, how far we've come, uh, our past, our people of today, uh, just a celebration of all black culture. The opportunities that we have today would not exist without the sacrifices uh, of those before us. They really paved the way for us. The things that really matter during the month is just to continue to push forward to make sure we continue honoring those thoughts and, you know, those individuals. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. 
Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. can kill a friendship. I wanted to be in the military since I, was, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said, I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Welcome back in to AJC Radio, where we seek to bring the message of justice all around the world. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams, the entire AJC Radio team, as we tonight shine our spotlight on Congressman James Clyburn. And we'll get to that just in a moment. But first, our disclaimer, none of us at AJC Radio are lawyers, and we do not provide legal advice, although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful. We recommend you consult a lawyer if you want legal advice. In this time of misinformation, government-controlled media, and government corruption, it is sometimes hard to get to the truth, but we must try. It is not our intention to libel or discriminate against anyone, and the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio, but we want to take a special moment to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend a little time with us this evening. We appreciate that. Uh, We got the business out of the way and as we get ready to get into this conversation regarding congressman Clyburn uh I'll tell you what folks you know we say all the time on this program uh can the bar be raised any higher than what it is and I'll tell you right now we were so very impressed William with 
uh, the congressman. Uh, it was very uh, busy time, as you can imagine, in our nation's capital with all that's going on. Uh, and I'll tell you what, he was the most courteous gentleman, uh, one of the most courteous gentlemen I've ever talked to on Capitol Hill. And he's doing some things that we're going to talk about tonight, some of his legislation, some things that he's doing to help. Uh, as we talked about, William, that this, the southern part of this country uh, and his district in South Carolina uh, actually got out there, began to put some ideas on the table, uh, how to save money, down to dealing with issues as far as heating, uh, air conditioning, uh, motor homes, these, these type of things uh, that people may not even pay attention to. Uh, not motor homes, excuse me, trailer, trailer home uh, communities. And uh, I'll tell you what, very much engaged, got to the point. Uh, the Speaker of the House said, look, we need you to present this idea for what you've done. Um, in South Carolina seems to be the formula that works. Uh, when you're doing your job that good, where you can cross party lines and say, we're going to make something happen and we're going to do something, it, it doesn't get any better than that. That means what you're doing and what you're saying cannot be disputed. Your right. thoughts on that? No, I, I think I think that's you know that is really what we're looking for when we elect someone to represent us. They're to be our voice in Washington, but they don't lose sight of the, their constituents. The, you know what's what's happening here? What's happening in your home? And you know that's uh, that's one of the things that's extremely important. If if a representative lose loses sight of that, they lose they become disconnected with their roots, their party, their people that elected them their pains, their struggles, their voice, you know, they're not going to do a good a job. They're not going to do a good job to affect them. And I think every one of us, as, as like you said in the first, in the opening segment, we are members of, you know, citizens of the United States. And there's things that can happen in South Carolina that can impact us here in Colorado. It can, and or it may be a formula, you know, that could be, that could be implemented here with a different variation. And it could be something that would work here. So definitely. And, and, you know, the very important part of Clyburn crossing the aisle there is dealing with the Speaker of the House in the opposite party. The Speaker is his representative of his entire party. So for him to be able to say, I, as a Republican, am going to the Speaker of the, of the House and for the Speaker of the House to acknowledge right. that he, as a, the person in the other party, that basically says – the entire Republican Party is on board That's with, with, with this legislation that you've come up with. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that is the only way that you can be a viable, uh, you know, an effective member of Congress. You have to get people on the other side of the aisle to vote with you, to take, uh, you know, to take some interest. And what you're doing, that's the only way that you help to affect the American people. No, absolutely. Uh, and I'll tell you this. Congressman Clyburn came to Congress in 1993. He was elected co-president of his freshman class and quickly rose through the leadership ranks. He was elected chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus in 1999. And his reputation as a leader and consensus builder helped him win a difficult three-way race for House Democratic Caucus vice chair, in 2002. Three years later, he was unanimously elected chair of the Democratic Caucus. When Democrats regained the House majority in 2006, Congressman Clyburn was elevated by his colleagues to House Majority Whip. And I'm going to tell you what, if you think that's easily attained, think again. And so, uh, Dennis, talking about, again, just the, the, the baby steps, if you will, 
Congressman Clyburn came in with a purpose. And I'm going to tell you, you do not elevate in the ranks of Congress unless you are doing what you need to do on that level. Something, and I'm going to tell you, that's respected on both, as Cliff alluded to, that's both sides of the aisle to say, look, this is a man, the majority whip, that's no small position in Congress. I can tell you that right now. And when you hear that, I'm encouraged uh, that we have somebody in office, uh, in his particular office he was elected to, as a congressman, to be a leader, an example, and I said earlier, Dennis, a trailblazer for those that will come behind him. And as you can see, he's, very, he's a very uh, unselfish uh, congressman, because when you think about it, what he did in South Carolina, he took with him. And now a lot of that's being you know, utilized at national level, because it wasn't about just South Carolina. And, it, and it's not about the Democrat, Democrat Party, but it's about the American people. It's about making sure that as a congressman, I'm able to cross those party lines and represent the American people and let them know that it's all about doing what's right. So in true, you, you, when, you, when, you call it, when you say a trailblazer, that's exactly what he is. And he's, what he is. He's truly proven it. We need to follow. So if we could get everybody to follow and stay on that path of doing it right and doing it for the American people, uh, you can't lose. You can't lose there, folks. And, again, feel free to dial in to the conversation tonight, 319-527-6216. That's 319-527-6216. And uh, feel free to give your thoughts on the congressman as we get into this program tonight of honoring and shining the spotlight on a gentleman and a leader. I'll tell you what, that's doing some things. We're going to get into that conversation now. One thing we found out about Congressman Clyburn, he speaks his mind, but he speaks the truth of what things are. Everybody knows the racism issues that we deal with in this country, that they are very real. Uh, Congressman Clyburn had an opportunity to speak to the systemic racism in America and what's going on in an interview. Uh, And we're going to hear a little bit what he had to say. I believe this was during the campaign season where everything was kind of messed up and racism is thrown everywhere. Tempers are flaring, emotions are high. But Congressman Clyburn stayed on point of exactly what we need to do to address this issue. Let's see what he had to say. Now, I think it is high time for us to be grown-ups about this issue of race. We're not going to solve the race problem in this country by pretending it does not exist. We aren't going to solve the race problem in this country by pretending that you can change your skin color uh, as you change uh, a suit or a jacket, if you please. Mr. Trump needs to get serious about this issue, stop making light of it, uh, and I see that's what he seems to be doing. No system is rigged against him because of his skin color. That's what race is all about. And we must be serious about that, have a conversation with each other about that, and see what we can do to solve this problem and not hide behind what may or may not have happened to you as a person uh, because of some ordinance uh, affecting your investments or how much taxes you pay uh, if at all. And, and sir, how do you, and, and talking about what you went through in the 60s and the different marches and demonstrations that you helped organize, because if I was doing my math correctly, it was over 60 years ago uh, that you when you were 12. Uh, so the commercials that, that have been played about 1968 and Nixon and the law and order candidate and Donald Trump now using that phrase, you know, being the law and order candidate, 
Does that make you worried how people will cast their vote, not based on hope for the future, but fear of the future? That's exactly what I'm afraid of. I've had that conversation this morning with members of my caucus. Uh, I've had one-on-one conversations later today. When I heard Mr. Trump uh, several days ago saying that I am the law and order candidate, that to me was more than dog whistle. Uh, that, to me, was using the bullhorn uh, to send messages out to people. When I see an avowed white supremacist thanking Mr. Trump, saying in those thanks, we get your hints, we understand uh, what you're saying, this says to me that there's a lot going on in this campaign that we had better be conscious about because this country is too great a country for us to allow uh, it to be pulled under with the strong currents uh, of uh, what may be racial tensions. So I would say uh, to Mr. Trump, let's have uh, adult discussions about this very serious problem. Well, there you have it. Uh, You know what? What I just heard, what stood out to me in that clip, not only the direct language of Congressman Clyburn, but he made a statement to me which makes me know he's able to cross that aisle. He said, Mr. Trump, let's sit down and have an adult conversation. That speaks volumes. Let's talk about this because we can sit down and talk, but both parties have to be willing to do so. What I respect about Congressman Clyburn, knowing the statements that had been made, knowing the rhetoric that has been made at this point in the campaign, see, this is leadership to me that said, you know what, Mr. Trump, let's sit down and talk. Let's act like adults. Let me tell you something. You can act like racism doesn't exist in this country, and we've come so far. I got news for you. I don't believe we've come as far as we think we've come. Congressman Clyburn has no problem addressing the issue. He said, we don't turn a blind eye to this. Because as we turn a blind eye, people continue to suffer. Body bags continue to get filled with overzealous police officers shooting black kids in black neighborhoods. So if you think there's not a problem, you're very naive. Congressman Clyburn uh, William stepped out and said, look, we're on different sides of this thing. That's right. But at the end of the day, let's come together. That's that leadership. That's that willingness. And that's what makes him who he is. And getting things done, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. William, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think, you know, he has to. You know, he just spent, uh, you know, several years in South Carolina where we saw, you know, the racial tension after the, the church shooting. And then after, we, after the, you know, the police officer shooting the, uh, uh, the black gentleman in the back. You know, so they were dealing with this racial tension that was there. So, you, so if you say we're not going to deal with this, then he's basically going to have to look at his constituents and say, okay, I can't address your pain. I can't address what you're feeling. And that's wrong. And he also looked at the fact that, you know, the racists and, the, and like you said, the white supremacists that were say, sit, standing there saying, Trump, we vote for you. He's saying, listen, we see the underlying tone. I'm not going to turn a blind eye and think that. There's not a racial, racial motivation behind this. 
So he's looking for looking at the fact this is happening and it's happening now and it's happening to millions of people and citizens of the United States. But he, like you said, he he is reaching across to the president and saying, "Listen, this is a real issue. Let well, let's talk about it. Well, let's don't try to ignore it. Let's talk about it." Well, that's where it, that's where it starts, William. Good point on that, uh, Dennis. And, and I agree. I would agree with everything that he just said. I tell you, William. Uh, it is so true. You have to address the issue. And uh, as a congressman, you got to be willing to, uh, they use the phrase, ruffle some feathers. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. If it's right, if it's right, if it's true, it's true. You got to yep. speak out against it. And, and you got to let the American people know. We know, we heard, we listened. Right. So it wasn't nothing that was done during this election that was not seen or heard. So, And we need to address that. We need to make, make sure people understand that. There were some undertones, and they were racial, racial, well, racially motivated, and that truly affects how people view, you know, this United States of America. Sure, and I'll go a step further, Dennis. There were more than undertones. This was blatant. Oh, it was uh, uh, racism. You had the undertones, and then you had the blatant just disrespect. True, true. Uh, to your point, adding to your point, uh, which makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you now, uh, we do know this as a national leader, Congressman Claiborne has worked to. Respond to the needs of America's diverse communities. He championed rural communities supporting the development of regional water projects, community health centers, and broadband connections. He has supported higher education by leading the charge for increased Pell Grants, investing millions in science and math programs, and historic preservation at historically black colleges and universities. He has encouraged economic development by securing funding for empowerment colleges and universities, investing in green technology, developing such as nuclear, wind, hydrogen, biofuels, and directing 10% of Recovery Act funding to communities 20% under the poverty level for the past 30 years. Congressman Clyburn was instrumental in advancing into law measures to resolve historic discrimination issues, significantly reducing the statutory Disparity in cocaine sentencing and compensating African and Native American farmers who suffered racial discrimination under the USDA loan program. I mean, what, that, that, I'm going to tell you right now. So it's not just about the African American community. He reached out to the Native American, those that have suffered these types of discrimination. And I'm going to tell you what, Cliff, these are issues that I'm telling you, they're not popular for people to step out on. He says, look, man, discrimination and coming from South Carolina, the things that he has seen, being part of the Selma uh, march, all of those things that happened, I believe this is the passion that drives Congressman Clyburn Cliff to get involved to say, look, I've seen discrimination up close and personal. It's not, it's not a good feeling. Let's help every American get from underneath that. Exactly. I mean, he, he's willing to, cross the, to go across the party line to uh to get things done but he's also willing to speak the truth when it when it comes to dealing with things uh like this like the issue of racism in america because like he said it's not going anywhere uh because we try to you know push it push it uh to the side or we try to act like it's not there the way to deal with it is just like everything else i mean it's 500 pound elephant in the uh, gorilla in the room Mm -hmm. it needs to be dealt with it is, uh, you know, the issue of so many things going on in America today, but he does not, uh, you know, basically fear away from 
saying, I will deal with the hard issues. And that is what, what makes him an extremely viable part of Congress. And I, I was reading in his, in his biography one thing that President Obama said about him. Mm-hmm. And he said, Representative Clyburn is one of a handful of people who, when they speak, the entire Congress listens. Oh, wow. And that was said by the President of the United States. There you go. That, that <laughs> statement right there sums up who, who uh, Congressman Clyburn is in, in a nutshell. Absolutely. When he speaks, the entire Congress can uh, listen, not just because he talks loud, but because what he says – uh, you know, it holds such a, I mean, it has such a tone that is this, this is a common sense, reasonable legislation that will infect, affect the entire country, and it absolutely makes sense to get it done. No, without question. And Congressman Clyburn uh, started his professional career as a public school teacher in Charleston, South Carolina. Before being elected to Congress, he directed two community development programs, served on the staff of a South Carolina governor, and ran a state agency under four South Carolina governors, two Democrats and two Republicans. His memoir, Blessed Experiences, Genuinely Southern, Proudly Black, was published by the University of South Carolina Press in 2015. It has been described as a primer that should be read by every student interested in pursuing a career in public service. I mean, you're talking about laying down the foundation and saying, look, I said it once, uh, William, that sounds like a trailblazer to me. It sure does. And this is what he's doing. It sure does. I mean, when you look at that, I mean, to, to serve as an advisor, and I was reading also, he was the first minority advisor to the, to the governor of South it's Carolina. Awesome. I mean, you know, it, there's a lot. But, you know, the thing about it, as a teacher, he understood the needs of education. There you go. And, you, and, and, and that's one of the things. My mother was a teacher. So you understand in the South, that was one of the things. It was, it was teaching. It was helping kids. It was educating them, moving them forward. And they usually go, go on to, you know, bigger and better things. They want to get them up, get them educated, get them, uh, you know, out and making money, you know, a better well, life. Yeah. And so, you know, but, he, but it's reaching. It's touching lives. You know what I'm saying? Well, you no, I got you. That. And I'll tell you what, teachers are not teaching for the salary. That, that, you know, they're not teaching to get rich or to buy that dream home. Uh, and to your point, by your mother being a teacher as well, uh, you have an understanding of, of the vision of Congressman Clyburn. That is critically important. Folks, we're not going to delay this any longer. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we start the interview, uh, exclusive one-on-one interview given to us by Congressman Clyburn from our nation's capital. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the nation. We'll see you then. We know you care. Now it's time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders facing trials have exploded. 
youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the shortest treatment and recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion for those that fight this battle. Her number is 720-305-2621. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize the message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And I'll tell you what, folks. Uh, we're going to get a big treat out of this conversation tonight as we begin to run down the resume of Congressman James Clyburn. And I'll tell you what, you're going to need more paper in this case as we talk about this legend on Capitol Hill. And to Cliff's point, when Congressman Clyburn speaks, the entire Congress listens. The words of former President Obama, uh, that speaks volumes. 
And uh, today we have been privileged to just shine a little bit uh, onto some of the things that he's involved in. Uh, and we're going to go to the interview right now that we did last week in Washington with this congressman. And I'll tell you what, it was a delight. Let's hear some of the things he's talking about. Uh, and let's take you to that interview, part one, right now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Lamont Banks, AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We are here with Congressman Clyburn, uh, a major uh, person here on Capitol Hill that's making an impact, doing some great things. I'm um, here with Lisa Stewart and Lawana Clark, and we're doing some things, and we're honored, Congressman, that, to, that you take a few minutes as things are busy up here uh, to get your thoughts on what's going on here. Uh, and they were sharing with us the, this initiative that you're working on right now that, that focuses on addressing, uh, of course, poverty-stricken areas. Why don't you tell the folks about that? Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, the so-called 10-20-30 program, it's really a formula uh, that um, came to me back when we were putting together the recovery package or the stimulus bill. Right. Uh, back in 2009, it, um, I said to the group as we were putting that program together that the country was teetering on an economic condition much like the one we experienced after the fall of 1929. Uh, and, of course, many people remember uh, the so-called New Deal that was put together by Franklin Roosevelt um, but the New Deal, though it moved uh, the country out of the Depression, sure. um, it left significant pockets mm-hmm. uh, behind. And so I made it very clear to the group that I did not want to be a part of putting together a recovery package that would uh, repeat mm-hmm. uh, that sordid history. Because if you remember programs such as the Work Progress Administration, WPA, the Civilian Conservation Corps, these programs in my part of the country had a little sign hung on them, the white only. And so to me, if we are going to um, move this uh, recovery agenda, we needed to ensure uh, that uh, the recovery uh, reached uh, all corners uh, of our society. Well, I had a hard time trying to convince them that we should do something about it. So one uh, night, about 3.30 in the morning, uh, this light went off in my head because I had just been meeting with the staff and we were talking about uh, where poverty existed and how uh, we categorized it in this country. And I remember one of them said to me that, well, we have these this plethora of persistent poverty counties. Sure. And um, when I asked, they told me that persistent poverty was defined in our governmental uh, entities uh, as any county or community where 20% or more of the population is stuck beneath the poverty level for the last 30 years. So if that's the way we define it, it just came to me that maybe we ought to target those counties. So I just thought it would be kind of a jazzy uh, 
to say uh, at least 10% sure. of the money that's being appropriated in this particular account should be spent in those communities where 20% of the motor population has been stuck beneath the poverty level for the last 30 years. That's how that came about. Well, I finally convinced uh, the House and Senate to put that formula into four parts of the uh, rural development section uh, of the agriculture bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, according to them, let's see if that will work. Well, it worked famously. Wow. 4,600 uh, projects were funded under it. Um, and we saw communities all over the country where people have been trying for years, decades, to get water systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, now this formula directed uh, that uh, there would be money going in those communities. In my district alone, uh, Marion County, Orangeburg County, Bamberg County, these counties, uh, one of them, man, have been trying to get a water system for over 40 years. They got the water system under this program. Wow. And so I had my staff to check and see what happened. And soon enough, they came back with these figures. Uh, it was very successful. stuff. Well, I tried very hard to get the uh, President Obama to put this formula in his budget. There's nothing unusual about this. I mean, way back when I was much uh, younger, okay. um, uh, we had the Model Cities Program. Uh, you may recall uh, we had empowerment zones in the Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. The, this was to target money into the areas, and so we just put this formula on it. And, and, and of course, um, I sat down with OMB. I sat down with General Council from the President's uh, from the administration. They, not, they found nothing wrong with it. They just didn't couldn't develop the will to do it. Well, interesting enough, uh, I started talking about it. Harvard University, I, got, I was contacted by uh, Harvard University and I asked to write an essay on this concept. Wow. Uh, and we wrote it. And it was published in Harvard's uh, Journal on Legislation. Uh, the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, was at the time chairman of the Budget Committee. He saw it. And he came to me on the floor one day and says, you know, uh, I'm intrigued by that formula would you come before the budget committee and, and present it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. Uh, and, of course, it was well received. A little while later, with all the turmoil that went on, Ryan then began to speak of the House. Right. So he walked up to me one day on the floor and he says, I've spoken to Howard Rogers. I would like for you to sit down with him. And seeking you all get your staffs together because I really want to put the 102030 formula into parts of the appropriations bill. And I'm pleased to report that as of today, uh, they have put that formula into 17 uh, oh, sections wow. of uh, 17 accounts for the appropriations bill. Um, and I think it'll, it'll grow up because I think that when you talk to communities, they understand that it's. It's a clean, simple concept. If you can look at $100 million a year, 10%, 10 million. Must 
go into these communities. So um, I, I think it'll work well, and um, uh, we'll see. It did work well in, in, in nine, eight years ago. Uh, I think it'll work well. Well, Congressman, uh, that is that's uh, amazing. Yeah. And I think the fact is, I think what we respect about you, Congressman Clyde, is this. I, I was I, years ago. I was in sales quite a bit, and they used to have a term called "keep it simple, stupid," yeah. and yeah. Uh, known as "kiss." Yeah. If I believe what is so refreshing is that it is that simple. It's if people are willing to just do the common sense things. Well, my dad used to um, set up all kinds of stuff, and he would do things to, to teach us lessons. And I never forget. He used to tell me all the time, uh, wherever. There's a will. There's a way. There's a way. So if if you ever develop the will to do something, you'll figure out a way to do it. Right. Um, and I, I think uh, that uh, more willingness is now uh, being developed. I just did. Um, uh, well, I do this often, but uh, recently I've been thinking about it a little more. We tend to look at, especially when you start talking about black poverty, poverty sure. in black communities. Everybody starts talking about the inner cities, the inner cities. Sure. I just saw uh, the president uh, having a little uh, interview with African-Americans in, uh, over the White House, and they kept talking about the inner city this and the inner city that. Well, the fact of the matter is my majority of African-Americans in this country still live in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I maintain that the reason you have these crises in urban communities is because we have never uh, sufficiently developed uh, uh, programs in rural communities. Because who would lead uh, rural South Carolina uh, if you had opportunities there? If there had uh, the benefit, uh, you can't have economic development if you don't have a source of water. Uh, And you got to figure out a way uh, to treat Sure. Uh, the wastewater. So that's what 1023 is all about. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, a lot of information there. And you know what? Common sense gets the job done. Dennis, when you hear the con, and you know what? It doesn't take a genius, you don't have to be highly educated. He said it, the idea hit him at 3.30 in the morning. What can I do? That's leadership. Members of Congress do not simply leave Capitol Hill and lay the job down. At least not in this case with Congressman Clyburn. If you're waking up at 3.30 in the morning trying to find a way to make it better, that speaks to the character of the man of Congressman Clyburn. Uh, I want to share this story really quick. Um, and accepting Congressman Clyburn and accepting his new role shared with his colleagues a story from his childhood that told much about the environment from which he came and about the man he has become. When he was about 12 or 13 years old, he stopped by his mother's beauty shop after school in his hometown of Sumter, South Carolina. A client of his mother's asked young James what he wanted to be when he grew up. Congressman Clyburn responded by expressing his dreams of wanting to be in politics and government. He was quickly rebuked by the woman who admonished him never to utter those words again. 
she was not intending to throw cold water on young James' dreams. She genuinely felt that such expressions could bring danger to him and his family in the segregated South. That night, his mother told young James to ignore the client's warning and encouraged him to hold fast to his dreams. It took a long road and 66 years for him to reach the pinnacle of those dreams. His humble beginnings as the eldest son of an activist fundamentalist minister and an independent civic-minded beautician grounded him securely in family, faith, and public service. He later graduated from Mather Academy in Camden, South Carolina, and became a student leader at South Carolina State College in Orangeburg. Growing up knowing many of the families involved in the desegregation case Briggs versus Elliott, which later became part of the landmark Brown v. Board of Education case, Congressman Clyburn was active in the civil rights movement at that time. And when you hear that, uh, we talk about this, Cliff, his beginnings, his humble beginnings, where he came from. And, and William, you alluded to this earlier, the things down in the South, what you come up with, what you've seen this speaks volumes, and we, we ask for the formula. How do we get a man or a woman to have this passion to do for a country, for a people, for a nation what Congressman Clyburn is doing, Cliff? And it's very clear to me it's where this man came from, and he has no intention of forgetting where he came from. That's right. I mean, he's a congressman of the people, and that's what it takes to be able to uh, draft legislation and press for laws to, uh, you know, basically help the people of America. You know, you some if you have a member of Congress that you know grew up with a, a silver spoon in their mouth or whatever, they don't feel the pain of the people who, um, you know, who have to be on assisted living or who have to have food stamps or who have to be uh, on Section Eight to to be able to have enough to pay for where the, where they live. It takes someone who's been there to really, fully, completely understand how those people feel and be able to fight for them. Like you said, you know, uh, the administration this week was in the inner city saying, oh, we got to fight for the inner city. Congressman Clyburn says, look, most of the poverty is still in the deep south, still in the places that we call the backwoods. It, that is where is where it lies. And he, the reason he knows is because that's where he's from. The reason he can speak to it is because that's where he grew up. And he reaches back to say, look, I haven't forgotten that, that, uh, that you know, my people are here. And, uh, but he has become a, become a congressman of the American people, and that's what makes him uh, so powerful in Congress today. That's awesome. William, your thoughts? Well, you know, I, kind of what Cliff was, was saying as well, when you, when you grew up – I grow up in an oppressive situation, like in the South. During during that time, racism was and civil rights was was huge. When you have that looming over you, and you have the poverty that's looming over you, then you have all these other things that kind of add up. Kind of what he he alluded to in that segment, where you're talking about, you know, lack of access to quality schools, your lack of access to quality health care, uh, adequate job opportunities. You know, when you don't have them. And you see the need for a voice. You need this. You see the need for someone stepping up and saying, "You know what? I'll be the voice in this hour." And that's what he's done. That's what. That's he. He challenged himself to say, "You know what? If there's nobody else that's going to take the stand, 
I'm, I'm willing to take this man. That's awesome. You know, that, that, that is, that, that speaks volumes, Dennis, is, is, again, we talk about the man, and the, the insight to who this man is is very clear from what he is doing. You have a lot of people that talk, they say this, they say that, but when you start doing something uh, that's impacting the lives of the American people, and I'm going to get your thoughts on that, Dennis, in a moment, uh, it says here that in October, on October 24th, 2014, a new rural health center named for South Carolina Representative William Clavern. A health center was named after him because I, I believe of his humanitarian spirit to reach out, to get down in the mud, to get down in the trenches, Dennis, and say, you know what, this is worth fighting for. And everything that we have in our society is those that are willing to fight, those that are willing to go to war. And I don't mean that literally, but the wars that we face in this nation of discrimination, of separation, of division, of prejudice, all the things that are combined in our society today that has brought America to the doorstep of decision. Congressman Clyburn has stepped in the way to say, look, I'm going to be the one that helped carry you here. Uh, This is what we're about. And I'm going to tell you, Those folks on Capitol Hill are working tirelessly every single day. And Cliff, you've been there on those on these trips and looking at the dedication, the staff, the I mean the you're talking about every part working that it might work effectively for the American people. I think we have to show a true appreciation for members of Congress like Congressman Clyburn, who has stepped out and meant without a doubt to lead by example. And to show, I guess, everybody, not only the American people, but his colleagues alone, who have said, again, what the president said, when he speaks, Congressman Clyburn, when he speaks, you better know he's talking about something and something that's meaningful. Cliff, your thoughts? No doubt. I mean, it, I mean, it almost leaves you speechless because, I mean, here's a man who, yeah, he's been in Congress uh, 20-something years, and he's made great accomplishments. But I mean, you like you like you said, Lamont. When you go up to to D.C. and you tramp on Capitol Hill, and you see the member of the Congress, I mean, you're talking about nonstop, twelve, fourteen hours a day. That you're like, okay, and and you know, we've said it before that most of the time when they meet with you is after they've had a long day and they, right, you know, they they maybe had to go to a boat or two and. I mean, you can have a meeting that, that's supposed to be scheduled for three, and they end up seeing you at seven in the evening. But they come in with this still, like, like cordial, saying, right. hey, you know, we're glad you came right. to talk to us. And, and the ones I'm talking these are the ones that have dedicated their lives to, uh, you know, being a member of the legislature that are there to help the American people. And, I mean, you, can, you, you know the ones, like, like Congressman Clyburn. That said, I am dedicating my life to the American people. I'm here to ensure that the American people have what we as lawmakers say that they that they desire, that they deserve, that what the taxpayers are expecting to get when they when they pay their taxes into the government pot. Yep. And you know, seeing members of Congress like Congressman Clyburn, it's refreshing because you you actually feel like okay these are the ones that are out there fighting i mean they they get a bad rap a lot on on the news you know 
it's like, well, what is Congress doing? They can't get this done, can't get that done. But when you have members like Congressman Clyburn, who reach across the aisle, who draw legislation that affect every uh, citizen of the U.S., those are the members of Congress that need to be spotlighted, that need to, uh, you know, really, you know, have our hats tipped off to what they're doing there. No, no, absolutely, Cliff. And uh, I'll tell you this. We all know about the tragedy in South Carolina, the shooting at Emanuel AME Church uh, on that Wednesday night Bible study service. And Congressman Clyburn made this statement as he was uh, at a prayer vigil uh, after that fatal shooting. And he said this, if we stay silent, they win. They must not win. What does that mean? We speak up. We fight. And I'll tell you what, Congressman Clyburn is leading the way in this fight. We salute you tonight, Congressman Clyburn. We're coming back with the set part two of our interview with Congressman Clyburn from our nation's capital. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We'll be right back. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we, are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life? based on what happened that night. That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan 
Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America, and it's time to do something. She's coined a new term for the times we're living in. Brace for it, parents of America. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. What? Alternative facts? Lies. We fit. Also known as stereotypes or false narratives. It's like saying black history began with slavery. That's offensive. Or that we'll never see another black president in our lifetime. What about me? This Black History Month, we're focusing on the facts, not on and facts. Indisputable. Truth. Real. Black magic is real. Black boy joy is real. Black wealth is real. Black beauty is real. Black support is real. Black excellence is real. It's real. Black love, that's real. Black lives are real. I'm real. Black history didn't begin with slavery, and it doesn't end with the Obamas. Whom we love and miss. No, like, really, we really miss you. Facts. All right, welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, as tonight has been a unique night and a very special night, and we're honored tonight to have the opportunity to have spoken to one-on-one interview with Congressman James Clyburn from South Carolina. And I'll tell you what, I'm overwhelmed tonight, to be honest with you, uh, with the things that Congressman Clyburn is championing, if you will. Uh, Being a member of Congress, there are many things that people fight for they debate for. What stands out to me with Congressman Clyburn, Cliff, is his willingness to put the American people first, Uh, the people in his district, the people that have, where he has learned and seen so many things. I I can't express to you in words uh, the feeling I have and what Congressman Clyburn has had to say, his influence on the Hill, his push, his uh, way of having the other side come over and say, we need to do this. We need to adopt what you're talking about, Cliff. How big is that given the times in which we live right now? That's huge. I mean, without that, you you don't have any, uh, I mean, you just don't have, you don't have anything getting done. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, it it takes people like Congressman Clyburn on Capitol Hill that, uh, you know, understand what it takes to reach across the aisle. They understand what it takes to work with the other side, but then also understands and still has a heartfelt uh, connection with the American people. Without that, you cannot get anything done. And then if you do get things done, they're not things that matter. You know, that it's like the bridge to nowhere. If you, if you get a bridge to nowhere built, it doesn't really matter. It has no effect on anything, but to be able to champion uh, you know, legislation that that effectively, uh, you know, causes change in people's lives. That is what Congressman Clyburn has done. Oh, without question, Cliff. And right now, with no delay, let's go to part two of that interview with Congressman Clyburn from our nation's capital. And I'll tell you what, it was a treat, and it continues right now. Let's hear part two of that interview with Congressman Clyburn.
another thing that I'm very proud of that very few people know about is something called the Rural Energy Savings Program. Mm-hmm. South Carolina has the highest per capita of manufactured housing in the country. Mm-hmm. Now, it came to my attention that people, a lot of people living in manufactured housing, were paying exorbitant uh, utility bills mm-hmm. because these double wides, we call them, right. single wides, uh, these manufactured homes or poorly insulated, mm-hmm. yeah. and people would buy them, uh, park them on a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, just start to live in. And they look down the road in the middle of winter, and all of a sudden you're paying seven, eight hundred dollars a month in wow. utility wow. bills. Wow. So uh, we looked at that in South Carolina, and the co-ops, the rural electric co-ops. Uh, uh, almost 40 of the states, about 50 states, I think 38 to be exact, have these co-ops. Mm-hmm. They're all over South. Santee Cooper, I, um, my wife grew up in Berkeley County, and she was, they were a member of the Berkeley Co-op. Uh, we have a home where we have the, um, uh, have the co-op, uh, Tri-County Co-op. So why sit down with the co-ops? And here's what we came up with. And this is now law. We thought that we could develop a program so that people could borrow money from the co-op to retrofit their homes. Uh, Put these aprons, I think they call them, on the ground under them. Uh, Put roofs, new roofs on top of them rip out this HVAC system and put in good HVAC systems and put in real insulation. Uh, we found that you could do uh, much of this through around $9,000 a year. So what we came up with was a program by which people could go to their co-op, borrow this money, have the retrofitting done, and pay back the loan through their monthly utility bill. There you go. And wow. here's what we found. We yeah. found that that seven, $800 electric bill or utility cost reduced to less than $300. Wow. Pay back the loan, the loan to say $200 a, a, a month. That's $500. You are then pocketing it's $300 that you have been paying utility costs for. Right. That's right. Worked famously. Well, uh, I finally convinced the Congress uh, to create the Rural Energy Savings Program. It took me seven years. Wow. Um, but it's now law. And we put in $53 million uh, last year. South Carolina got $13 million of that. Uh, I'm convinced. That that 53 million is going to be 253 million. We'll this program will spread like wildfire because people will see what is it uh, when we start talking about doing an infrastructure bill. Sure, this is infrastructure. Uh, it creates jobs. The roofers mm-hmm. will have work to do. 
uh, the HVAC people who have work to do, the insulators who have work to do. Uh, I don't know who puts those aprons on the ground. I've gone and looked at them. I, I, I know what it is. Uh, I, I'm not going on these trails to do it. But everybody, so you're creating a job and you're providing a significant service and the co-ops uh, it's low interest rate, but it's interest. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you're turning the economy. So these are the kinds of things that I uh, I, I have been doing. I I won't get to uh, the um, stuff that we've done on the campuses of H historical black colleges and universities. There are 103 campuses uh, uh, in the country. Uh, we uh, we sort of pioneered a program to restore buildings and sites on historical black colleges and universities. Um, most of these HBCUs are in the South. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got seven of them in my district. Right. Uh, and uh, there are 11 in North Carolina. So you talk about uh, 20, that's about uh, uh, 20%. Yeah. Just in those two states. This is before you get to Georgia, where there's right. four. Mm-hmm. Alabama, where there's five, uh, five, four or five in Alabama, about five in Mississippi, Texas, Florida. Mm-hmm. That's what they find now. Uh, you know, I know people up in Pennsylvania that don't consider themselves being in the South, but there are two HBCUs in Pennsylvania, Cheney State uh, and um, Lincoln, and then there's a Lincoln in Missouri. Uh, I don't know where you want to put West Virginia, but Blue State and West Virginia State were. Other than that, the rest of these HBCUs are in the South. You know what? Uh, as I'm listening to you, Congressman, uh, consider 2020 Clyburn ticket. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, this, well, that, that, that's a nice number, but uh, <laughs> there's another number uh, that I keep on my mind. Sure. 76. Okay. Which is my age. <laughs> <laughs> well, Congressman, I'll tell you right now, this stuff here to me, this, this is getting stuff done. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. You're talking about affecting the economy, creating jobs, taking the, the burden off of the backs of, of Americans to say, right. look, this can help you, the people sure. who are paying $800 a month. This is, this is what we need, which we have, yeah. and we are very appreciative of what you are doing here on Capitol Hill. I'm, I'm talking, you're talking about a trailblazer, if you will, that, that hopefully the people coming after you will know, wait a minute, we need an example that's that. Well, Congressman Clapper is setting that example every single day. Well, that's, you, right. that's awesome stuff, man. Well, that's right. You know, I, um, I always maintain that we can be no more, no more will ever be less than what our experiences allow you to be. And I think that uh, if people were to just listen. I think the, uh, uh, a lot of elections would go differently if people were uh, to, to listen to the voices of experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with getting educated. Uh, but my dad used to say all the time, experience is the best it's teacher. Brutal. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so no matter how much uh, as the folks sit down in Gullah Keech country where I'm from, <laughs> book learning you get. Right. Uh, you really get a lot of the learning from your experience. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you. Uh, we're going to, you always have a platform on our show okay. to get your word out. And again, we know it's a busy, busy time. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time okay. with us today. Wow. Uh, you know, you sit here 
and listen to Congressman Clyburn. Dennis, I'm floored, man. And you know what? I just talked to him a week ago. And when you hear it again, it makes perfect sense. And the thing is, he has the facts to back up that what he's doing works. We just have to implement it. How important is that? Very important. Uh, you mentioned you used the analogy, uh, keep it simple, stupid. Right. It made me laugh. Uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, we used to use that analogy. But it, it's true. You know, keep it simple. And, and as you can see, uh, the congressman, that's just what he did. He said, hey, there's some ways that we can make some major differences in people's lives. And it doesn't have to be this great, sure. you know, uh, a scientific uh, problem that we come up with or solution. And, and and I tell you, it's working. He, and he shows the the profits. He shows the gains. He shows uh, how that these these uh, the, these programs that he, he put in place really work, and, and how it affects the economy. How it affects that that person that's paying that that high uh, electricity bill, bill utility bill. Bucks? That's 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 a big bill. I mean, but I tell you, it is so awesome to hear him because he's so real down to earth you know it's like hey i don't need all i don't need all the book education in the world i just need to be smart and need to be willing to help the american people and that's what it takes and uh congressman clever made a statement on the rural star energy savings program uh house majority whip james e clyburn delivered remarks on the house floor on hr 4785 the rural energy savings program act legislation that provides loans to american families small businesses and farmers in rural communities to renovate their homes, farms, or businesses to become more energy efficient, which is what he was just speaking about. The concept is very simple, low-cost home improvement loans for energy efficient upgrades, ceiling, insulation, HVAC systems, heat pumps, and other structural improvements. Those low-cost loans are paid back on customers' electricity bills with the energy savings covering the cost of the loan and when the term of the loan expires, most people will be saving hundreds of dollars annually on their monthly utility bills. We call this the Rural Energy Savings Program because it will save consumers energy and money. More importantly, it will put people back to work, particularly in the building and construction trades, manufacturing industries, sectors that have been hit the hardest by the economic downturn. That is completely amazing to me, William. When you think of that, and it's, again, we say this, we said this earlier, it's simple. And that's why I said to Congressman Clapper, man, this is so simple. We've come to a point to make things so difficult if we would stop and listen to each other with the idea to say, wait a minute. And that's what caused Speaker of the House Ryan to come to him and say, look, man, this is something that sounds like it's going to work. Do the math. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it. You know, and again, growing up there, you 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 experience the co-ops, and the co-ops are, are are they're great because they actually give the the homeowner some cash back at the end. You know, so so they're almost like they're investing. But this this right here gives them an opportunity to establish that loan and make improvements on their house to cut their energy bills. That's amazing. I mean, even when he broke it down, he said, yeah. "You're in you're in a trailer," and I you know, I, I I've had. I've been in trailers. I've been there. I've seen them. Right. You know, and, and you know, and they're, you're not talking about thick walls. You know, you're not talking about something like a structure of a house. 
But, you know, a lot of people live in trailers in the South. Sure. They do. So, but the thing about it is they're, they decay over time and right. things like that. So to be able to do improvements on it, you that's know, awesome. that's awesome because a lot of people actually just rent them. They just rent them. They don't own them. So they just rent the trailer. And, and so, so for them to actually, you know, get some money back and save some, that's I mean, pretty important. What I like about Congressman Clyburn is the vision. He has a vision for a better tomorrow, but he's not talking about it. He's implementing programs. He's introducing legislation that will make it a reality. And this is what we're talking about over and over again on this program, is that our members of Congress, nobody would have ever probably, the people maybe, but the average American, they don't know this is going on. Other than those that are directly affected, like the folks in South Carolina that, hey, hey, you know, I don't have to pay as much for my utility bill because of Congressman Clyburn. You know what I mean? This is something that's awesome. He speaks to every social issue, every impactful issue that affects the American people he gets involved with. Uh, Congressman Clyburn uh, talks about health care reform and the Social Security process. I'm going to read a, a quick brief here. Congressman Clyburn is one of the program supporters, and according to him, this year's health care reform bill pump new life into a program that benefits nearly 900,000 South Carolinans. We fixed Social Security longevity in that bill for 10 to 20 years, said Congressman Clyburn. And he says this, and I quote, you ain't hearing nobody talking about it. Is it going to be there for you? Because we fixed it in the health care reform bill, and so everybody needs to know. He's making the point. We're doing something. We're getting the job done. He said, but nobody wants to talk about that. He is the voice in Congress that says, I will set the platform and I will lead the way to speak about those things if nobody else wants to talk about it. I think that's amazing, Cliff. Uh, when, you, when you hear these things, uh, it, it, it just it really gives you, the, if nothing else, a patriotic spirit to believe when you have people in leadership with this type of character, this type of resilience, this type of fight, we got something to be optimistic about. Because he's one person, I'm going to quote the president again, former President Obama, when Congressman Clyburn speaks, the entire Congress listens. That is a huge statement. I'll never forget it. Uh, He goes even further than that to get into the personal areas where we've had tragedies in our country. And if you know anything, he went out to Congress to make a statement that he wanted a gold medal honoring Girls killed in the Birmingham, excuse me, church bombing years ago. He talks about that on the House floor. Let's hear what he had to say. Mr. Speaker, I rise in strong support of H.R. 360. This time legislation will provide for the posthumous awarding of the Congressional Gold Medal to Annie, Ernie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, Cal Robertson, and Cynthia Wesley. These four precious girls were killed in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, 50 years ago this year. 1963 was a pivotal year in the struggle for civil rights in our nation. It marked 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation and was the year of Martin Luther King Jr.'s stirring letter from the Birmingham City Jail which sounded the call for nonviolent civil 
disobedience to counter oppression in the Jim Crow South. In that letter, Dr. King famously proclaimed, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Mr. Speaker, as a veteran of those efforts, I know that the struggle for justice, empowerment, and equal opportunity for all continues to this day. I want to thank my colleague, Representative Terry, 10 seconds, Terry Sewell. Gentlemen's recognized for 30 seconds. I want to thank my colleague, Representative Terry Sewell, for her leadership in this outstanding effort. Representative Sewell has quickly made her mark in this institution for a tireless devotion to duty and a thoughtful approach to legislating. I'm proud to join her in this effort and urge all of my colleagues to support this legislation. I thank you. Now you're back. Well, that speaks volumes. What you just heard, Congressman Clyburn taking another step to remember those that were lost in that fire. <laughs> this is a total man, a total leader, a total champion uh, for the people. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit lost uh, for words right now, Dennis. Is, is this doesn't seem real, but it is very real. That somebody, and the people that we go out on a November night, regardless of where you are in the United States, and you say, you know what, we need to get out here and vote. I said this before, in this latest election, it was told that a lot of people didn't get out, uh, as they should have. When I sit here tonight and listen and hear from this champion, Congressman Clyburn, and I'm not being uh, anything but 100% real with you, that would make me want to, you know what, we got to put him back in. He gave us the number of 76 uh, when we said to him, hey, man, maybe we need you in 2020. Somebody that can lead the way on this level, that's what we need, Dennis. Exactly, and do it and lead despite, you know, the controversies, despite the obstacles, despite uh, anything. You know, I go back to when he was 12 and 13 years old and was told that, uh, you know, uh, don't speak like that. Don't, don't, don't say that, that, that your wish is to be, you know, in the political yes. arena. Yes. And, and yet here he is today, you know, <laughs> despite that, you know, I, I did it. And it shows that he has that fight. He has that. Uh, you know, that desire to do what it takes to do what's right. And if you could do that and then come and do as much as he's doing right now for this country and for his constituents, I mean, it's just awesome. I mean, it it just floors you uh, when you think about it. You can go down some of his his, uh, legislation, some of the things he's pushed, uh, a lot of things. Uh, You know, I know he's very much involved uh, with uh, innovation, uh, education. We talked a little bit about that uh, and the importance of these things, the importance of education, the importance of motivating folks in the inner cities uh, to actually uh, to actually do something. Uh, and it's not just a punchline to say, well, our inner cities are garbage. It's more than that. 
You got to you got to feel what until you walk that road. Do you sincerely understand what it means to be in an inner city, a rural area, areas that are not uh, some areas that are not prosperous? But as a lot of people came back and made the statement of, you know what? The African-American community is more than that. Congressman Clyburn is the example of that. So at the end of the day, you need people in position that can relate to me having a half a loaf of bread left in the, in the cabinet. Exactly. How am I going to feed my kid in the morning? I've got to relate to that. Congressman Barbara Lee was a prime example of that. She said, wait a minute, I've been on food stamps. So when I go to the House floor and say, wait a minute, do not take this away. Because she has lived that. Congressman Clyburn, I'm going to tell you right now, is the example of what it means to feel for the American people and not talk about it, begin to do things that impact the lives of the American people. Um, I'm going to play a clip right now from Congressman Clyburn in an interview with Carol Costello of CNN uh, and his passion uh, in regards to the inner cities and what challenges we face. Uh, I think that people make a tremendous mistake when they look at the inner city and say that is the African-American problem. The fact of the matter is the majority of African-Americans in this country still live in the South, basically in rural communities, many of which I represent here in the Congress. I always maintain that the reason we have these crises in our cities is because we have never had a successful rural development program going in the country. We have people uh, in rural communities that will remain in those communities if we carry opportunities to to them. That's what infrastructure is all about. I've been listening to uh, the president talk about infrastructure, big, giant infrastructure programs. Well, the infrastructure program for me is more than roads and bridges. It's about water. It's about sewage. It's about broadband connection. It's about saying to those kids at Scotch Branch High School, uh, where Brown versus Board of Education all started, even today, there are less than 40% adoption rate in those homes when it comes to broadband. So if we are really serious about developing uh, African-American community, closing the education gap, closing the income gap, then we have got to carry programs into these rural communities. I've been fighting for them since I've been here. If you look in the Recovery Act, you will see that I've inserted a little formula in that act called 102030. It was put into four parts of the Ag Bill uh, that um, we had. Yes. Sir, sir, let me ask you this, because um, Donald Trump assembled all of these African-American people so that they could celebrate African-American History Month. Mr. Trump billed this as a listening session. Did he reach out to you at all to attend this meeting? Oh, no. I don't see any African-Americans there who are in government. Uh, Armstrong Williams, I know very well, uh, who was uh, uh, there. He is from uh, my congressional district, uh, his family, 
But, but of most of the friends. people, well, I guess what I'm getting at is most of the people at, in this listening session were supporters of Donald Trump during the campaign. Should well, he have, like, widened the circle? Well, it seems to me uh, that to be successful within the administration, as in everything else in politics, to learn how to add and multiply. This whole thing uh, of uh, subtracting and dividing, and so much, even that appointment last night uh, to the United States Supreme Court, um, that is a, an appointment that will divide America like I have never seen it divided before. You may think this campaign was divisive, but you just see what happens uh, as this uh, vetting takes place. And I would hope well, well, in the president's word, there's extreme vetting. I will say that Republicans are looking at the Democratic Party at the moment and calling them obstructionists, especially in light of what just happened just about a half hour ago. And I'm going to try to explain it to my viewers. It's very difficult. But essentially, the Democrats were boycotting these, these committee hearings on these Trump nominees, right? So the Republicans suspended the rules and completely cut the Democrats out because they weren't cooperating at all. And now all of these nominees go to the full Senate for these confirmation hearings without the Democrats taking part. What do you think about that? Well, we did say, uh, look, I think you know what's going on here. Rushing these things through, not allowing for full vetting to take place, uh, putting these names up before the paperwork is ever turned in. Uh, I think that we have a right to vet these nominees. We should know what's in their record. Uh, they're all taking their signals from a president that we just elected who refused to show his income taxes. We learn a lot about people when we look at their income taxes. We learn a lot about people when they fill out the right paperwork and turn it in. So ask them to participate in an unfair, biased system. The Democrats just decided they would not be a, a party to that. Well, there you have it. And you know what? It is what it is. That's the statement that comes to mind. Uh, and the interview, Congressman <laughs> Claiborne is not a person to be played with or messed with. He said, we're not going to sit back and just go with the status quo. Because this is, sounds like it's the correct thing to do, Dennis. To, to take the stand that he took, he said, we have a right. And he's seen a few presidents during his term in Congress. And to be able, I'll say it, I said it once, I'll say it again. You have to have a voice that will speak out against nonsense. And he says, when you want to call me on the carpet for this, let me make this very clear. He said, we know exactly what's going on here. Do I respect that about Congressman Clyburn? And you know what? I believe that's why he's respected all over Capitol Hill. For that alone, you want to get the truth from him. You're not going to get anything sugar-coated, whitewashed. Cliff, he's going to tell it exactly like it is. And that's what everybody in Congress has to respect him for. Because you know exactly where, uh, where he stands when it, when it comes to you know, even his legislation. Before he puts out something that he says he wants to be law, you know as a, another member of Congress where he stands. You know uh, his, his moral... Uh, stance on on any subject that comes up, and that is what makes the members of Congress have to trust him. And that's why President Obama was able to say that when he speaks, the entire Congress listens. 
because you can't have a person that, uh, you know, as they call it in politics, flip-flops. To have that person trying to create laws, you don't know which direction they're taking. Congressman Clyburn is not a flip-flopper. He tells you exactly where he stands so you know where he sits on any issue. And you know what's amazing about that, Cliff? Where he's telling you where he stands is where it's a good place. <laughs> he's not standing on some faulty ground here. He's standing on some pretty solid ground uh, in his push in legislation. I'm going to play this last clip of Congressman Clyburn remembering Selma, very important civil rights uh, time in this country, again, connected, understanding exactly what we're facing as a nation. Let's see what he had to say. Uh, Mr. Speaker, on yesterday, I opened up uh, Black History Month with a speech at uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church on Wayne Street in Columbia, South Carolina. They had an interesting topic for me to develop. Uh, It was all about remembering our past and preparing for the future. Uh, Chairman Butterfield has talked a little bit about the past that many of us remember. But 50 years uh, after Selma, we must turn to the question that Martin Luther King Jr. asked in one of his great books. Where do we go from here? Chaos or community? Statistics show that there are nearly 500 counties and thousands of communities in the United States that are classified by the Census Bureau persistent poverty areas. They are so defined because 20% of their populations have lived below the poverty level for the past 30 years or more. They are diverse including Caucasian counties in states like West Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee, Native American communities in states like South Dakota, Alaska, and Oklahoma, Latino communities in states like Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. African-American communities in states like South Carolina, Alabama, and Mississippi. There are urban communities in states like New York and heartland communities in states like Missouri. 139 of these counties are represented in this body by Democrats. 331 of these counties are represented in this body by Republicans. 18 of these counties are split between the two parties. Combating persistent poverty should matter to all of us, regardless of party, geography, or race. In early 2009, when we were putting together the Recovery Act, I propose language to require at least 10% of these funds to be uh, funds 
in rule, three rule development accounts be directed to these persistent problems. This requirement was enacted into law. In light of the definition of persistent poverty counters as having at least 20% poverty rates over 30 years, the provision became known as the 10-20-30 initiative. This provision bore dividends as economic development projects proliferated in persistent poverty communities across the country. Using the 10-20-30 formula that the, under the Recovery Act, 4,655 projects in persistent poverty counties totaling nearly $1.7 billion was funded. I saw firsthand the positive efforts of these projects in my district. We were able to undertake projects that create jobs that would have otherwise languished. Well, there you have it. Uh, what do you say to this champion, Congressman James Clyburn? We'll move tonight to action as an advocacy group seeking justice and to bring that message around the world. Spotlight on Capitol Hill was a part of that solution. Congressman James Clyburn, known to us as the trailblazer, setting the way for those that will follow. A very special thanks to Congressman Clyburn for taking some time out of his schedule to meet with us in Washington, D.C. last week, to his staff, and to a very dear gentleman who made that happen. Patrick, we salute you tonight, and all of the staff for Congressman Clyburn. I'll tell you what, we salute a champion tonight, the champion of the people. We're coming right back on the other side of this break to what you didn't know about the RP6. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, Thursday. And I'll tell you what, this has been a humdinger of a program. And I'll tell you what, I got the goosebumps and the patriotic feeling tonight, William. This, this sends waves, if you will, uh, of optimism that we have someone on the Hill, I'll tell you what, that can cross 40 lines and get the job done. That's, that's right. I mean, you know, 
to have somebody out here that's championing these causes, fighting for these people, coming up with plans and, and to work across party lines to deal with issues that's happening, you know, in this segment. This, you know, what he's dealing with is across the country. It's not just happening in South Carolina. So it's great. No, absolutely. Dennis, your thoughts on our uh, champion, Congressman uh, Clyburn. Truly a champion. Uh, great guest. I mean, it's just awesome. I mean, everything he's doing, it truly shows that this is a congressman, a congressman that is about uh, the American people. Without question. Cliff, your closing thoughts on the congressman and what he's doing uh, on Capitol Hill. Yes, members of Congress like him that get things done. I mean, uh, i say it again. It's common sense legislation that affects the entire country, uh, makes him more than just a member of Congress for his constituents. He's a member of Congress for the people, and our hats are off. Well, that's awesome. Uh, awesome. Uh, Congressman Clyburn, we salute you tonight. Take a bow wherever you might be. We salute you for your service, and thank you for taking time with AJC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, we turn the page. What you didn't know about the RP6 starts now. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It absolutely makes no sense. Is this Really real? Is this happening? Mm. And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The RP6, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question, where is justice? What you didn't know about the RP6 case is the question. Floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys, um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted, and this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that had been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? The RP6 and countless thousands are seeking her out.
what you didn't know about the RP6 story to be continued. What you didn't know about the RP6, tonight we take a look at the largest perpetrators of justice, one namely, Sam Thurman. A complete fraud, someone who basically being the key witness against the RP6 with absolutely no credibility, never worked at IRP Solutions, and went out of his way. The question is why? You know these men. You knew these are men of honor, of integrity. But you, for some reason, were not concerned about that, nor the lives of these men or their children or their families. One of the biggest liars in this whole equation, Sam Thurman. William, you know this story. How does a key witness for the prosecution, for the state, become someone who not only has no credibility, the prosecution didn't even bother to seek out the truth to verify his claims? Tell us a little bit about it. Well, you know, that was the key. They went off of this person's information, these lies that he spread about the organization, about the company, about the, what they were doing. And they never saw fit to investigate his role. Did this man even have a role with the company? What was his relationship with these people? Why was he – what was his motive? What was the motive behind what he was doing? And so without that, they took him at face value, and this led to this – mess that we're, we've seen and now we're on the, the tail end of but it would have never happened it should have never happened they should have actually done it this boy was lying and they should have evaluated it and said is there any kind of legitimate reason Correct. anything that he's saying does anything he say that he said have value and they didn't do it and when you look at it I mean here you have somebody who who was a consultant that maybe came to the office once or twice had no dealings with any of the, with any of the uh, business plans, how the business was run. And then you become a witness for the government. You spew lies about what you knew, what was going on that, um, you know, in the business, you weren't there. Number one, number two, you, you didn't have any interaction with any of the business dealings. So how, can you speak to any of the facts and for the government to take that information and say, okay, this is what we're, we're basing our case off of. Um, it, it shows how skewed a prosecutor can get and how out of control a judge like judge Christine Arguello can be to allow such testimony. I mean, when you're talking about hearsay, these aren't things that, that uh, he could have seen. This, this is basically hearsay conjecture his opinion, and Sam Thurman is allowed to get on the stand and spew all kind of lies to the jury, uh, becoming what the what the prosecution, like William said, becoming the prosecution quote unquote star witness 
against our pre solution who was never in the building had no idea what was going well, on. That is a type of thing that makes you look at the American justice system and say this cannot be what we call justice. Well, I'll tell you this. I did happen to see Sam Thurman on Facebook, I believe LinkedIn as well. Actually, with IRP Solutions down as a former employer, somebody explain this to me. If the IRP Solutions Corporation was as corrupt as you say, and all the things that you say is true, is there a reason they're listed as a reference? Uh, That's amazing. You're listing IRP Solutions as a corporation that you work for. And usually if you get fired from a job, you leave that off of the resume. But you, Why then is that? I'm going to leave this question with our listeners, William. We've got to sign off. But I'll tell you right now, think about that, ladies and gentlemen. All the things you said, all the lies you told, you have them listed as a former employer in good standing. Which says one thing. You are the biggest fraud and liar that needs to be brought to justice. To be continued, ladies and gentlemen, what you didn't know about the IRP6. A very special happy birthday to some of our members. Lisa Stewart, happy birthday to her, Ashley Brown, Tisha Barnes, Dennis Merritt, and Tanique Wright, part of our team here. We say thank you and happy birthday. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, bringing the message of justice all around the world. Good night.